bow our head and we'll begin. Father, um, Lord, we know these passages are, are sobering, Lord, even in first service. Lord, I saw what you, you've done. People are getting saved. People are getting um, righted of heart, Lord. I, Lord, I'm in constant awe and amazement of how, Lord Jesus, your word, you promised never returns void. And Lord, I've never seen it return void. As we gather here the, this morning, Lord, I pray, Lord, if, if there is spiritual conviction that's needed, God, we want that. We don't want to have itching ears. We don't want to be entertained or pleasured that way, Lord. It's good and joyful for the bride to come together and to meet with the Spirit, Lord. You, Jesus Christ, God, our Father. We pray, God, that you will do a work in our hearts here this morning. We pray that you are doing a work in those in India, Lord. We pray that you will continue through the leading and teaching of your Holy Spirit to make us holy to set us apart, Lord, that we would be this beautiful, precious jewel in your eye, that we would fulfill your plan and purpose for our lives, and that we would walk in victory, Lord, overcomers, not relegated to death. Lord, when we are in your will, we, God, we are invincible, Thank you for the work you're doing in Kentucky. And Lord, I pray, let your spirit fall upon this place, upon us this morning. Have your perfect way in us. Jesus Christ, we ask these things in your mighty name and all God's people pray. Amen. Amen. If you look at, uh, again, let's start in chapter uh, 5, verse 20, actually, this morning. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to the eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the idea here is just because grace abounds and we have liberty, we should never take that liberty for granted. We should never put the liberty we have over the love for another. And so doing, we can cause ourselves to enter into sin and we can cause or be a stumbling block to someone else to enter into sin. But we need to not let sin reign in our hearts. I say this because the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery and the man who was not, was not brought forward, that's sexual morality. And there is no compromising that. It's wrong. It's unholy. It's unrighteous. We need to turn from those things. Those things are not for us, beloved. He doesn't have that for us. He is so much better. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? There's a teaching. It's called anti-nominalism or nominalism. Has anybody ever heard of that term before? Some of you maybe have heard it from me or in different walks, right? And that's the idea that you could pretty much do whatever you want, <laughs> go anywhere you want, think any way you want, sin any way you want. And because we have the grace of Jesus Christ upon us as born-again believers, we're not held to that standard or to a higher standard. What's Paul say in verse 2? Certainly not. That's not the aim. Let's be real with each other this morning. Every one of us walk through one of these doors here. We blow it, don't we? I blow it all the time. All the time. But that's not my aim, and that's not your aim either. The aim is to do the work of the Lord. The aim is to be faithful. The, that is the aim. 
That is the goal. That is the aim to live the Christian life holy, righteous, for the Lord. But we do. We blow it. And it's good to know that the Lord Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sin and the covering of grace is there in those times where we're not presumptively sinning against God. Did you know that in your Old Testament that there was no sacrificial offering for presumptuous sin? Did you know that? You can scour the whole uh, uh, Torah, Pentateuch. You will not find one place under any blood sacrifice or sacrificial sin that was there to cover presumptuous sin. We're part of a better covenant. I will say that, certainly. But rejecting Jesus Christ or accepting Christ but not being obedient and purposely not doing that is the definition of presumptive sin. It's not when we don't see it or recognize it. That's ignorance, a sin of ignorance or uh, an accident or we make a mistake or we blow it, like we say. But to willfully go against the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God, that's a whole, a whole other level or a whole other issue within the heart. And he's going to tell us that when we do that now, that we choose to do that. Again, we can't say the devil made us do it. We can't say my dog made me do it. Or, And that brings me to a, an understanding of the battle that exists. And, and I know maybe you could pray for me. <laughs> maybe it's me. But the battle that exists in my heart between my flesh and my spirit, they're constantly waging war. Galatians 5.16. But there's hope for me. There's hope for all of us in here when we begin to understand the power and victory we have in Christ Jesus. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? He's almost saying, how do you even do that? If you truly are a born again believer, why are you going back to the old ways, the old friends, the old situations? What, what are you doing there? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death? We acknowledge that, right? We acknowledge the work on the cross and what Jesus Christ did as our Savior. We, I don't think any of us would deny that. It's through that we understand we're saved, right? But there's also lordship. He's also our master. And that means that we submit and surrender to our will that his will would be done. And it doesn't mean we don't go back to our friends that we knew that weren't saved and try to bring the gospel to them. I pray we do, right? But we don't begin to think and act like we used to because that's not who we are anymore. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That's not an opinion. He's not saying, hey, you might want to consider that. He's telling us this is how it works, actually. If you're a born-again believer, we should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death... Certainly, we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And I praise God for that, right? Every one of us wants to be resurrected to eternal life. Amen? Want to go to paradise, spend time in heaven with the Lord? Right? I don't think there's any of us that are going to go, no, 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 we don't really, we just you know, want to be saved, but we want to spend time in a life, you know, eternal separation from him in hell. There, I've never met a born-again believer that's ever said that. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. The work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, there's a new nature. The endemic nature is dead. 
We've been given a new nature through Christ Jesus. The body of sin might be done away with. That's the purpose. It wasn't a covering. Do you remember in the Old Testament, the blood sacrifices? All they were, Yom Kippur, all that even means, atonement. It was always a covering. It was like taking something. I know none of us do this. But it would be like in our house, maybe in our bedroom, some of us when we were younger, maybe now, I don't, don't raise your hand. You lift up the carpet and you take the crumbs or everything else and you sweep it up, you cover it over. Room's clean, mom. Or honey, I did all the chores. Everything's spotless. Only to look under that carpet and what? It keeps getting bigger, right? That pile that we started so innocently then becomes like an inch, right? We think it's a decoration. He says, don't you understand that that's what you're doing or that's what was done when we, when we did the blood sacrifices of bulls and goats? Is it was just a covering. It could never properly satisfy our sin debt and nor the new nature we received in Christ Jesus. Only Jesus Christ's perfect work on the cross did that. It removed it. You and I sit here, if you're a born-again believer, John 3, your sins in the past, your present sins, and your future sins have been removed. Just think about that for a minute here. Well, wait a minute. They might have been removed, but I had an impure thought. I did this or I did that. Yeah. Is that your aim? Because if that's your aim, then I do have to ask you a question here this morning. Are you born again? If that's not your aim, but you blow it because you let your guard down or you let the flesh get the day or whatever, but it's not your aim, First John, does he not say he's faithful and just to forgive those that repent and come to him? He doesn't want us walking around guilt-ridden, condemned, sins to be dead to us. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. That's really part of when he talks about the captivity that we were in, that sin actually had its way in us before because of the endemic nature. There's something that was going on there as we were born. Um, I've never had to teach a child, myself included, how to sin. I was very good at it. It's very natural. I could be right in the playground. I one years old. I learned at probably six months if my mother, uh, my mother's with the Lord. But if I probably asked her and said, "Mom, was I able to manipulate you in the middle of the night when I was hungry, you know, tired, lonely, or to come and pick me up and hold me?" Which you know she would do. Was I effective at doing that? Oh yeah, the water works. Do 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 do. I'd come. Your diaper was changed. You were fed. You were good. And sometimes I couldn't figure out why you just. And then I knew you just wanted to be held. And that's okay. That was good. But nobody had to teach me how to manipulate my mom to do that. I came out of the womb understanding that. We still all understand that, don't we? Let's be real with each other here this morning. Let's be transparent. We all understand that. It's not like we, you know, we got saved and all of a sudden we're like, click. I no longer know how to operate in the world according to the world's standards. Oh, no, no, no. It's now a willing choice that we have to go before the Lord and say, guard, God, guard my heart. Deliver me from this. Because left to my own opinions, left to my own devices, I will still choose to do those things. 
because the flesh wants to wage war against the spirit. The difference is, friends, this is the greatest news. I don't have to. You don't have to. Isn't that wonderful? That's what it means to be set free and no longer be a slave. He says, that's it. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if he who died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. Nobody questions that, right? We're not sitting here going, am I going to be resurrected? Am I going to go to paradise? No, we know. We know the assurance of salvation. Why don't we believe that we've been given the assurance and the victory over sin? <coughs> that we don't have to do it. And why also don't we believe that when we're in the will of God, we can do anything according to his purpose and plan and be completely protected and safe in doing that, if that's his will. We don't have to be anxious or fearful or fret. We don't have to worry. We don't have to figure out the finances. We don't have to figure out any of that. We need to step in faith. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Praise God. We don't put Jesus back on the cross, do we? Every time we blow it, we don't go, Jesus, I'm so sorry. You got to go back on, uh, head back to Calvary, head back up to Mount Moriah. We don't have to do any of that. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So, would, so should we. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let the sin reign in your mortal bodies. Please underline that in scripture. This isn't a suggestion, friends. How many of us are doing that right now? I mean, really, don't raise your hand. But I want to, honestly, let's examine our hearts. Let's, let's ask the Lord to examine our hearts. We know the scriptures. We know the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. They've been laid out before us. How many of us can look at this passage and say, Reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let the sin reign in your mortal body. How many of us can look up and say, yes, God, we no longer let sin reign in our mortal body. And if we can't say that, why can't we say that? What's coming in between our hearts, our thoughts, and the living God? Is there something that we have in our opinions, we value more than God's word or truth? Is it something that we think is negotiable? And the other thing that's funny is nobody has ever had to tell me to think more highly of myself than I should. Nobody's ever had to come up and say, you need to be more prideful. I'm really good at that. I'm really good at thinking I know better or I can handle this or maybe even... God, you know, let me help you. Help me. I just think we really got to talk about these things. We say we're the body of Christ. We say we believe the scriptures are perfect and infallible. And then we get to passages like this and we, we almost get numb or callous as though we don't think the power of the Holy Spirit in us can overcome our addictions, overcome our sin, overcome the depravity of heart and the carnality that we still carry, as though we can't do these things because we can in Christ Jesus. We're overcomers. Every one of us here, we are overcomers. We don't have to stay 
in the vomit? But the devil sure likes to make us think we do. He's, my flesh sure likes to make me think I'm incapacitated and I have no say in this, but I simply have to be led by my flesh, led by my thoughts, led by my hormones, led by fill in the blank, led by my, my, my taste for mammon. And I don't think I'm alone. I just don't think I'm alone. I, I think born-again believers, we have these thoughts. These things are real. I think we're afraid to talk about them because then somehow people are going to think we're less righteous or less holy, and we try to put this air on like we have it all together. We don't know what we're doing. None of us have arrived. So why are we so hard on each other? We need to encourage each other. Brother, sister, you can overcome that addiction through the power of Christ. You can overcome that sin in your life through the power of Christ. And I'm invested and we're going to do it together. We're going to do it together. We're going to bear these burdens together. You're not alone. You're not alone. Doesn't the devil make you think you're alone sometimes? Doesn't your flesh make you think you're the only one and you keep these sins secret and hidden because you're afraid to talk about it with a friend because what will they think of you? He loves that because he takes the amber out of the fire and hides it over here. And then all of a sudden you think, well, you know what? I can no longer relate. I'm not like them. They're, they're not like me. And we forget we all put our pants on one leg at a time. We all get on our knees and have callous knees, just like James in the Bible, because we're repented people, forgiven sinners, seeking the glory of the one true God in unity, in faith, and the power and admiration of the Holy Spirit. Not because of who we are, because of who he is. <coughs> And that's why he says in verse 12, therefore do not let the sin reign in your mortal bodies and that you should obey its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, over me, over anyone that's a born again believer. For you are not under the law, but you are under grace. You can turn back to John. I wanted to bring that up because the whole counsel of God needs to be presented that way. We can't just present the grace and we look at this woman who's caught in adultery because of the scene and we know the ill motives of the religious leaders and how they were trying to trap her, trying to trap Jesus. And so we talked all about, you know, the fact that she was made a pawn. But I also didn't, and the Lord didn't allow, you know, the timing to bring out the fact that but that doesn't, doesn't, wouldn't it be great if she never had to be in that situation to begin with? Right? Never, never be in that place of sexual immorality. So she couldn't have been dragged and couldn't have been used, even though it was all a setup. And I just want to bring that out to, to just for the believer here this morning. If you're struggling with something, lay hold of this. This is the word of God. It's true. By the proclamation of God, by the command of God, whatever sin you're struggling with here today, you can go to God, your father. You can go to your brothers and sisters and say, it's about time I'm an overcomer. Let's do this. Let's do this. Look at verse 13. 
Now we're going to go into a passage that's going to seem very familiar to us because of our time that we spent already in John chapter 5 verse 31 regarding witnesses and who's the self-witness. Isn't it as wonderful as we read this? Jesus Christ doesn't ever grow tired of telling people how he loves them, how he desires forgiveness for them, and how he desires reconciliation for them, no matter what they've done. He, he continues to go back. He wants to reach these religious leaders, no matter that they want to kill him. He's, that's just real love. This is perfect love. The Pharisees, therefore, said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Oh, we're back on this again. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone. But I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. So if you might remember, hold your finger here, and we turn back to John, just chapter 5, verse 31. We, we read this passage. Do you remember when he was... describing to the religious leaders, to those that would, would be able to hear. This is right before the feeding of the 5,000, which really was closer to 10 or 15,000. He, in verse 31, he says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me. And the passage has got a subtitle probably in your Bible that's written by hand that says the fourfold witness. Again, remember, that's written by man. But the scripture is inspired by God. And what Jesus does is he once and for all tries to explain to the religious leaders, knowing the hardness and the fact that they're believing the lies of their own heart, he knows how powerful that is. He says, there's four witnesses I give you today. The first witness was John the Baptist, who was a forerunner that was prophesied that I would come and say, behold, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, I, he declares, here's God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Remember that? The second witness he gives, right, or the second example he gives is in really verse 36. And it speaks to the miracles. You remember the works? All the miracles, signs, and wonders that Jesus Christ did. He calls that out and say, they also bear witness. Because last I checked, the blind can see, the lame can walk, the deaf can hear, the mute can speak things that had been done in Israel that had never, ever been done before. He says, how can you explain this? The third witness, he goes, he calls upon God the Father, the Godhead of the, tri- of the Trinity. And he calls upon the first person of the Godhead and says, you also, God my Father, is an example. Is there anything that I'm saying, anything that contradicts the Father, anything that you know of? And the answer is absolutely not. And then his fourth is really in verse 39 when he says, you search the scriptures and in them you think you have eternal life and these are which testify of me. He's saying the word of God even testifies of me as Messiah. So the reality is there shouldn't be a single person alive today 
because creation testifies and bears witness. All of these things, the measure of faith each person, human being was given at birth, testifies. There's really no reason or excuse anyone has to come to the rejection of Jesus Christ except for, again, they believe the lies of their heart. And so as we come to this passage, and back in chapter 8, verse 13, again, just think about the patience Jesus Christ has, the long-suffering. You know, the Pharisees said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus could have said, did I stutter? Right? Like my mama used to say that. Like if, if there was something that I did or she said, hey, don't do this, and then I did it, she would look at me. I don't know if you guys know that saying. I don't know if that's an upstate New York thing. I don't know. But did I stutter? And I was like, no, mama, you didn't stutter. And I knew what that meant. Did I, am I repeat, you know, do I have to repeat myself here? Did you not understand what I said? Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't come and go, did I stutter? <laughs> Praise the Lord. He doesn't do that. He says, didn't I already go through this, this fourfold witness? Jesus answered and said to them, I stuttered. No, he said, even if. I bear witness of myself. My witness is true. He, he settled that already. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. Can any one of us declare that the way Jesus Christ, the God-man can? Do we know what it smells like in heaven? Do we know what the incense and the aroma of the throne room of God smells like right now? Do we know the sound of the voice of the angels and the elders as they all gather around the throne room of God and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and was and will, right? Do, we, do, do any of us know exactly the pitch, intonation, and sound of how marvelous and glorious that sounds? Do we know what it is to look upon the Spirit of God with all fullness of truth. God the Father, God the Son, couldn't even show his face to Moses completely, the back, because it would have overwhelmed him. He was so aware of it that he kept wearing that shroud because the glory from that moment began to fade, and he didn't want anybody else to know that it was fading because of how wonderful it was. where I have come from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I've come from and where I'm going. Jesus Christ came to be what? If, if, if I could use, ask you to give me two terms, you, you might say Savior of the world. Well, that would be three, Savior of the world, or Savior, right? What, what if I told you that Jesus Christ came to be an image bearer? That's what our scriptures teach us. We've already covered that in John chapter 2 and 3. He's come to be an image bearer to the invisible God because you can't look upon the spirit that way. And yet we could look upon his flesh. We could look upon him, see him, know him, touch him. Jesus Christ said he's come to live in us and we've become the holy temple of God. And likewise, what are we today? Image bearers. Image bearers. He says... You have no idea. Just think about how remarkable that is. It's, they studied Torah. They studied the Pentateuch. They, they studied the word of God since early in Hebrew school. I mean, to, to really know they had many chapters, many portions of scripture completely memorized the Jewish religious leaders, many of the people. And to lay and to look and behold 
the Lamb of God standing before them and not recognize anything about him as we read about him if his character of his truth and of his form as recorded in scripture. I, I really believe that, friends. I believe there are many in the church today that will one day stand before Jesus Christ and say, who are you? Who are you? I, I don't recognize you. We all know that passage of Lord, Lord. I did the miracles. I did all the stuff. I could even exercise demons. But I didn't have a relationship with you. I didn't recognize your fragrance. I didn't see you in the scriptures or see how you leap off the page into my heart. He says, you judge according to the flesh. He makes it clear. Unbelievers, have you ever wondered why there's not sometimes communion in that? It's because they're operating in the flesh. They're not operating in the spirit. And it would be, it would be un, unrealistic for us to expect that from them. Wouldn't that, isn't that unfair if you go up to an unbeliever and you expect them to act and behave like a believer? I think sometimes as Christians, we do that. I think sometimes we have that expectation and forget that we were there one time too and that we needed help. We needed saving. We needed to be pulled out of the mire and the clay and the vomit. It's amazing how short-term our memories can be and then so become cold to those or indifferent to those that don't know Jesus Christ. To not have a call to reach the lost and the sick and the dying and those in need because after all, they're heathens. Friends, I'm a heathen covered by the blood of the lamb and forgiven because of it. I'm filthy rags, as Paul says, but I'm forgiven filthy rags. I judge no one, he says. He's talking about the same way they judge. I judge no one in the flesh. No, he judges in truth, right? And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I'm with the Father who sent me. What's he do here? He, he, he hits it head on. He's dealing with their, uh, their flesh. He's trying to expose, expose their fleshly and false narrative and motives. They're, they're so wrapped up in their, their ambition for power, their fear that Jesus is going to, you know, take control and leave them with nothing. It alters their understanding. It alters their expectation. Again, they believe the, the lies of their hearts. It, it's really not, I, I've used the term, it's mental illness. I want to correct that. It's spiritual illness. It's spiritual illness. God is going to appeal directly to the Father for them. It is written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. He said, even your law, even, even what you know, Deuteronomy chapter 19, 15. Hold your finger here. Turn to Deuteronomy in your Bibles, in your Old Testament. We'll see it and read it our, for our own eyes this morning. Not just a man telling us. We can see it with our own eyes. We can see in Deuteronomy chapter 19, 15 in your Old Testament. It says very clearly, one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits by the mouth, right, of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. Well, maybe that was just 
maybe that was just under the law, right? Is that, is that possible? Could that just be something that's under the law and not applicable to us today? I'm glad you guys asked that question. Hold your finger here. Turn to 1 Timothy. You guys have the best questions. Um, turn to 1 Timothy in your Bible and look at chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 19. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from what? From two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all that the rest may also fear. God, God doesn't want us to. He's protecting us because he doesn't want this. He doesn't want Christian fighting. He doesn't want somebody going up. You he even gives us Matthew 18 of how we should treat each other. That if there is an issue with a brother or sister, we should go right to them. We don't go right to the pastor or overseer or elder of the church. We come right to our brother or sister and sit down with them and say, what you said or what you did hurt me. It, it cut me. It hurt me deep. And we give that person an opportunity to say, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't know that that's what I was doing. I apologize. Forgive me. And then we do what? We forgive them, right? And praise God, we've gained a brother. We've gained a sister. If, if they're not willing to listen to that, then, then we turn around and we, we grab an elder, right, of, of the church. And we say, okay, brother, come on, or sister, come on, please sit with me. And then we again do what? We sit down and we try to reason together. And if they still aren't willing to listen, then, then sometimes church discipline is needed. And then we do get the pastor of the church and we do sit down and we, we go over the scriptures. This is, this, is what the, this is what you're doing. This is what the scripture is saying. These two are at odds, these, these two are at odds. These two things don't match up. The audio and video don't match. We, we, is there repentance? And what's the goal of repentance? Forgiveness to lead to reconciliation. It's not to destroy a brother or sister. It's not to harm them. It's not to make them an outcast or a public humiliation. As they tried to do with that woman caught in adultery. That's how we know. The fruit bears the witness. You know, almost every time I sit down with somebody, if I'm even pulled in that, I, it, it, it's like with Solomon, with the baby, and you cut the baby. Okay, the mother's no, please. I, I don't want harm to come. To the fruit always bears witness to the truth. You can't misinterpret it. You, the real motive of heart always comes out. God's word is trustworthy. Look back at our, our passage here. So it says, it is written in your law, the testimony of two men is true. He's saying, look, then fine. If, the, if, this is, if you're calling this into attention, then guess what? The father and the son bear witness. There's two. It's the fulfillment of the law. I am one who bears witness of myself and my father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, where is your father? What are they doing? They're given over to a debased mind, Romans 1 and 2, right? They're rejecting the Old Testament prophecies. Because that's what you have to do to not see Messiah there. You have to reject the Old Testament scriptures. And they're given over to a debased mind. That's exactly what happens. In these last days, in the way we're living, aren't we seeing hearts grow cold? An indifference for people that are really hurting, struggling with mental, physical, emotional, spiritual issues. And we just, as long as we're good, we're, you know, no. It's never, that's not biblical. But we're so comfortable in thinking we know best. I, I can fall into that trap. I don't know. Maybe you don't. Um, pray for me. But it, it can happen. It can happen. And 
I don't want to do those things, right? And I don't want to make those presumptions. I don't want things to become so callous that they become, uh, I become indifferent or I see so much pain and so much heartache that I no longer have the sensitivity to cry, to weep with someone, to bear burden with them, to invest in them, to be with them for as long as it takes. All of us have been given that ministry, the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of caregiving, of love, of investment. And it says that Jesus broke these things, right? And, and what's so heartaching for me, and I, I read this in verse 19, and sometimes I get so choked up because these are God's chosen people. And I know he's going to save them because I believe his promises in Jeremiah 31, 31. I still pray for Israel, Genesis chapter 12. But he says to them, and I mean, this, uh, he says, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. The stakes are high, friends. Do you see what he's looking right at? He says, you are not saved by faith. It's not accounted to you by righteousness. Because Messiah stands right before you, and you will not believe. Again, you'd rather believe the lies in your heart than to believe the truth of Messiah. And there are some people that no matter how much word they hear, they could sit in a church, they could sit under the word of God, and it literally doesn't take root. It's all fun and games. It's all a joyride. It's all about entertainment. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Because if we're not careful... That's exactly what happens to cold hearts. They become indifferent to the obedience and the truth of God. And they begin to believe the lies in their hearts, which then leads them to a debased mind. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury and he taught in the temple and no one laid hands on for his hours and not had come. Just I'm going to take this next portion and then we're going to close for today. Then Jesus said to them, Again, I'm going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath and I'm from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am. A quote from Exodus 3.13, I am who I am. A revelation of his divinity. He, you will die, you will die in your sins, plural. Then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, Jesus, just sorry, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge you, to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world these things or those things which I have heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them about the Father. And then Jesus said to them, Will you lift up the Son of Man? When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. And so in this short little passage here, so much meat on the bone, 
So many things going on. We begin in verse 21 where he says, and he makes a truth declaration that everyone could hear, but not everyone would understand. He's saying, I'm going and what's coming is a time of suffering. I'm going to be terrorized. I'm going to be beaten, brutalized. I'm going to be led to a cross where I'm going to be crucified and then I'm going to be buried and then I'm going to be resurrected and then I'm going to ascend into heaven. He's saying all that when he says, I'm going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. He's saying to them that, singular, by the way, he uses sin there, singular. He uses further later, he'll make it plural. But he says, you die in your sin. You die because of the rejection of Messiah. You, where I'm going, you cannot come. He makes this very clear. There is no after you know, I, all these cults, it's, I think there's a coincidence to lie from the pit of hell. These cults, I, I think of the Roman Catholicism that teaches of a purgatory, that you can pray your loved one from this holding tank to heaven. Or you can pay for what used to, financially used to be called a what? Indulgence. You could buy indulgences, profiting off the people and the broken hearts. Sick, isn't it? Not much different than what we're reading right in Scripture right now. And so there's that. Then you have the Mormons, which they, they believe that uh, you can have this soul wrestle. So this idea of what you do is you, you, you could take and you can pray the dead that were Mormons and you could pray them later on into paradise, as they would describe it, into heaven. Is there any coincidence? There's no such thing as coincidence. There's, we, we see these same lies. They're just repeated in different cults and, and, and called something new. But it's the same lie. And then, and then it gets worse because then what they do is they add to it and they heap something. In verse 22, it says, so the Jew said, will, will he kill himself? Why are they thinking that? Well, certainly because he's saying, where I go, you cannot come. What are they? Because in their minds and understanding, they thought they're all going right to heaven. Because they're a son of Abraham. They thought by bloodline, they were somehow entitled to something that was never spoken in scripture that way. It's always been faith. And that was accounted to them by righteousness. And so, not a biblical teaching, but what they believed, and if you do some extra biblical reading and you go back to the, the extra writings, you read it that day, it was common for the Jew to think that if someone had taken their life, someone commits suicide, okay, that they would go not to hell as we understand hell today, but they would go to almost like, kind of like how the Catholics have made a, a, a holding tank called purgatory or the Mormons have their own, they had made a lower chamber in hell. That God somehow had made this degree of hell and that there's a lower chamber and you would end up in the lowest low part of hell if you committed suicide. And so what they're saying is, is that's why he's saying where you go, I can't come. They're interpreting what he's saying. Well, then he must be committing suicide because even a fallen Jew or a Jew that's rejected God, the father, even he doesn't go to that lower place of hell that's just not biblical. We don't find any biblical teaching for that. But it became, you know, a religion. It became part of the ideology today. And the thing that I, you know, I'm, we're at our time. The thing I just want to be sensitive about is when we talk about suicide, we talk about self-harm and things. I shared it with First Service, and I, and I, and I do want to handle it with the most delicate way. 
But we have to recognize that even born-again believers can go through such extreme trials and extreme heartache that they can find themselves in situations where they can begin to feel hopeless without hope. And it can lead them to those places where they do think about, or worse, the devil, the flesh, the world, sort of impregnates their minds with these ideas of self-harm or suicide. And somehow we think as Christians that, you know, that doesn't happen to us. We're, we're, we're faith and prosperity, man. We're supposed to have everything. Everything's great. Meanwhile, we go through heartaches. There is mental illness. There is things that come at us that way. There is depravity, and, and, and there are difficult times. We have the joy in Christ Jesus, but we, when you're under you know, constant pain or you have all these things going on, it can really weigh down your soul. And we got to give those things over to the Lord, but we got to come alongside a brother or sister when we see those things. And then the idea of an unbeliever right? Similar intention. You know, most of the times when I sit down and I counsel someone far more times than I want to, to be transparent with you, of people that think about taking their lives, and I, and I always, my door is always open, please, day or night, call me or call the church, please, if you ever don't, you know, we come together, we, we, will, we will work through these things together, okay? Don't, don't try to do this on your own that way. Um, we love you, okay? I don't, I don't even know if I've, even, if I've never met you, but you're hearing this on the radio. You call. I love you, and I haven't even met you yet. But I love you because God loves you. And um, inevitably, when I talk to that person, I, I, I ask them what's, what's hurting them, what's, what's, what's going on. And they'll describe how this torment, this pain, this suffering, right? And we know in the Proverbs that it says anxiety untreated leads to what? depression and sorrow, and then you stay and you mince in that for a long enough time, and eventually people have those thoughts. And I try to remind them, as the scripture would teach, that those our conscience stays intact. This is something very important. Does everybody understand that when you look at Lazarus and you look at the rich man, there was a, a abode, a separation between the two. The, the rich man was trying to, because of the torment, he was so thirsty, his tongue was clinging to the roof of his mouth, that he literally was asking Lazarus to please bring him some water. And he was in Abraham's bosom at that time. And there was absolutely no indication that that chasm could be crossed. As a matter of fact, Abraham says, no, you cannot. Just like Jesus said, where I go, you cannot come. That's an absolute, a biblical absolute. And so when this was happening... The thing that was so striking to me, and I shared this with you, was that the rich man was fully aware in his conscience, his soul, that's the term soul, you know, fully aware of his suffering, of his torment, and his feelings. And so I've said to me, I said, if you think the body is the problem, because it's not, and you think by terminating the body or the life within the body is somehow going to bring an end to the real issue, which is a spiritual and mental torment, you're mistaken. Because all you're doing is, if you, especially if you're an unbeliever, you're sealing that fate forever. By taking your life, you, you, are, not, you are hastening the immediacy of what you're feeling and that, that sorrow and that heavy, and you're perpetuating that for eternity. 
You're literally going to live in that for all of eternity with never being able to be separated. Think about how you feel now and manage that for, and, and, and you know, can you imagine that for eternity? You wouldn't wish that on your worst enemy, let alone yourself. And that's exactly why I know it's a, remember, the devil over, overplays his hand. We see that in scripture. That's why I know it's a lie from the pit of hell. Because when you follow it out biblically, you know that it doesn't deliver you from the real cause, which is a spiritual problem and condition. It's not going to solve it. Nothing is going to change that until you come to Christ, until you submit, until you turn around and you experience the thanksgiving and the joy and bring all your anxieties through prayer and supplication and that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will come and minister and comfort your heart in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. But in everything, by anything, through Thanksgiving, Philippians 4, 6, you know the passage I'm quoting. So if you're thinking about hurting yourself or you've had those thoughts, don't believe the lie of the devil. Affecting the human capacity or the temporal state has nothing to do with the eternal. And if you're an unbeliever, you're going to be stuck in that state forever and ever and ever. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Instead, cry out. Cry out. Because as brothers and sisters, look, if you're an unbeliever and you're hearing this on the radio, there is no coincidence. Call the church. Day or night. Because that's not what God has for you. God wants to prosper you. He loves you. Even if you don't know who he is, he knows you. And even if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, but I'm a born-again believer. I thought I'm not supposed to have those thoughts. Friends, there are days and times where we get broken. We get so overwhelmed and upset because of the affliction, the persecution, that if we're not careful to go back to the Word of God, if we're not careful to come and have someone bear those with us, we try to keep it hidden, we try to keep it, that we don't even realize that we're being compromised. It's like that amber being taken out of the fire. It's time to be put back in the fire again. It's time to come to the body of Christ and to bear each other's burdens and to live it out together. Jesus never promised there wouldn't be persecution, affliction. He just promised that you and I would be overcomers. That we would be overcomers this is a moment. Eternity's forever. Ask for help. Talk about it. Don't keep these things to yourself. Well, this is where they're at. They think, well, he's going to go and do this. And he said to them, you're from beneath. I'm from above. You are in this world and I'm not of this world. Therefore, I said that you will die in your sins, plural, for if you do not believe that I am, if you deny the divinity, this is not a misunderstanding. I am divine. Again, this is where the cults stumble. He will die. You will die in your sins. If you don't believe I am he, who is he? The Messiah. Believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. That's God's plan and program. 
And then he said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have, may, I have many things that I want to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world of these things which I've heard from him. They do not understand that he who spoke to them of the Father. You know why? Because they're believing the lies of their heart, and they're of a debased mind. And then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, he's talking about at the time of the crucifixion and resurrection and then ascension, then you will know, then you will know, I am. He, and that I, nothing, I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. In other words, we are one. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believe. You know what this is for us, friends? This is an example of obedience. Never once do we read about any opinion Jesus had contrary to the word of God or the Father. The only time we get anywhere near something like that, and the musicians can come forward, by the way, the only thing we get any, time we get anywhere near that is in the garden, when he said the cup. And what was he talking about? The cup of wrath. If this cup should pass. But once again, he yielded and said, but not my will. Whose will? Your will be done. Isn't that wonderful? Christ is the example, right? Friends, be a part of the miracle. Be a part of the miracle. You want revival? It begins here. It begins now. And it begins in our hearts. Amen? If you're able to stand, I love you guys. Father, we do thank you always for your faithfulness, Lord, for your truth, your word, Lord. Thank you that, God, no matter what we're at or what circumstance we're going through, thank you, Jesus, that you can deliver us from all iniquity, from all sin, Lord. Also from the very lies of the enemy, Lord, the world and the flesh. God, you are faithful and true. We just praise you. We glorify your holy name. And Lord, for those that are struggling, God, those that are struggling with self-harm, Lord, or struggling with circumstances that seem overwhelming, Jesus, may we be your hands and feet. May we be attentive and sensitive and be led completely by your spirit. Lord, begin the revival in our hearts right now, Jesus, we ask and pray in your holy name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people pray.